Hey, heroes. Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers. Those folks are the ones that are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to the latest and greatest must-have technology tools, a people-first leadership approach, and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, I want to say a huge thank you to our premier sponsor, NGA, Next Generation Advanced. With reliable cloud-based end-to-end NG91 solutions, I am wicked confident that they can fulfill your needs when it comes to next-gen core services, call handling, data analytics, and much more. Oh, and did I mention it's affordable and customizable? Make sure you visit our friends at www.nga911.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. I am really excited or wicked excited, as I normally say, uh, to have my guest today. One of our sponsors, our event sponsors, if you caught our National Public Safety Telecommunicator Week celebration in mid-April, you saw that we had some folks that stepped up to the plate to be an event sponsor. So it was On Scene First and, and Next Generation Advanced, NGA. And we put together a celebration for telecommunicators. And I was really excited to do that. And my guest today just randomly out of nowhere, stepped up to the plate and said, hey, I want some sponsorship information. And we were really excited. So I want to welcome my good friend through social media first, now good friend in in other areas, Robert Avsek. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Tracy. And Congratulations on the correct pronunciation of that last name. I worked really hard on that. I tell you, you you would be surprised how people can mangle those five letters. Well, and it's fine. So I I have a lot of appreciation for the correct pronunciation. I grew up with the name Wekeser. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We talked about that on one of the events. (laughs) So, yeah. That, that, yeah, we talked about that on one of the, the events. But um, so, Robert, do me a favor. Uh, let our guests know. Uh, I definitely wanted to have a conversation with you, even outside of your sponsorship, because you seem to have some knowledge on a topic that is is really near and dear to me. And that's leadership, you know, and providing resources and documentation and things for folks in the public safety space. But tell the folks what company you are with, your company, and uh, what you do in that role. Well, I'm a, uh, I'm a one-man band. I am too. Yeah. Well, I, get a, yeah. I have a little help from some friends. Those yeah. friends, yeah, I can't do it without them, but yeah. I'm a, uh, I'm a retired fire department battalion chief. I, uh, I served with the Chesterfield County, Virginia Fire and EMS Department for 26 years. Thank and you for your service. You're welcome. In the last, oh gosh, it's been 10 years now, I've been plying my second career as a freelance writer. Your big and boy you, job, that's what I call it. Yeah, I, uh, I write online content for fire and EMS uh, trade journals, m- many of which you know have either gone completely digital or they've got a digital product that, that they produce along with their print copy. 
you know, I, I just write on, on all sorts of different topics, but I do a lot of work for fire rescue one and EMS one. Okay. And what, it, what is the name? What is the official name of your company? My company is RPA professional services, right? Okay. Real ingenious. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of, I kind of picked that name. Uh, it's not just because I, you know, primarily right. But, you know, I do a, I do a lot of uh, ad hoc coaching or consulting or, or whatever, you know, when, when people see something that I've written and they comment about it and you get a little bit of dialogue going there, found it's a, uh, as I say on my LinkedIn profile, you know, it's given me an opportunity to take what I've learned and give back to uh, the world of fire and EMS. Uh, I love I also that. Have, also have my own blog, so uh, I can write what I want, when I want, yeah. about what I want. And, uh, <laughs> that's called uh, Talking Shop for Fire and EMS. Okay. The the title I was going to go with was Kicking Rocks. Okay. That didn't, because uh, I worked for in my career, uh, that was his favorite saying is, let's, let's go out back of the fire station and kick some rocks and solve the world's problem. Oh, okay. That's, I like that. But I figured it wouldn't have as much meaning to people who were outside. Yeah. Cause we, cause when you said it, I'm like, ah, I'm not sure. But then when you described it, it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what you're doing. Right. But I think talking shop for fire and EMS kind of, uh, kind of hits the, hits the target audience. Well, because, and, and you can, talk, and like you said, you could talk about anything that you want. There's, there's so many different places that you can go. Now you're, you stepping up to support us in our national public safety telecommunicator week endeavor was, it wasn't by accident. I mean, we, you and I connected online a few years ago, I think at this point, you know, you saw that I was doing this event. Why did you feel the need to reach out and want to sponsor the 911 telecommunicators? You have a connection there, don't you? Yeah, I do. One of my assignments in my career was uh, I had about almost a three-year gig where I was the uh, the co-manager of our emergency communication center in Chesterfield County, which does everything. Police, yep, fire, yep. sheriff's department, EMS. I, I still say that, that, and I think I told you this on the uh, the celebration, that I still consider that one of the most rewarding assignments that I ever had. Yeah. I went into it kicking and screaming. Of course you did, because that's right? not that is not <laughs> what you went to school for. That is not what you wanted to be in your in your career. But it took me all of about two hours to figure out that this was going to be a fun ride. Yeah. Okay. And I say that because number one, we had a lot of problems. And, <laughs> no. And uh, on my business card for many years, I considered putting on their professional problem solver because that's what you do if yep. you're in a if you're in a leadership position. Uh, I, I remember a, a colleague of mine many years ago said the 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 role of a supervisor is to remove barriers. Okay. Get those things out of the way that are keeping your people from doing their job or yeah. being happy or making a contribution. And then the other part of my education was the four hours I spent with a headset on <laughs> and, you know, seeing what goes into, you know, taking a 911 call, making that decision. What type of call is it so that it gets into CADS, so that it gets dispatched? I, I think uh, pretty much from that moment, one of my mantras in my career was, the rest of my career was, you know, the 
telecommunicator who's taking the 911 calls for an eight-hour shift or a 12-hour shift, they're going to make more decisions in that shift than a rookie lieutenant is going to make in their first year on the job. And the other thing that that a lot of people don't understand is uh, of all the people in public safety, telecommunicators are the only ones who are operating on a clock. Yeah. You know, you got this amount of time to process the 911 call. You got this amount of time to get it dispatched. And do, did you do you realize um, this? Was, actually, I'm glad that you brought that up because I've been talking in another you know part of my world about the dispatch times, et cetera. There's a lot of folks out there that do not realize that the the significant role that NFPA has in a lot of the basis of our standards. Right. And so like the call answer time, for example, the, the call answer time. And, and I'll tell you, there was a lot of folks, myself included. Now I know all about it because of the roles that I've been playing for the last few years. But when I was the director of a 911 center, I didn't really know about the call answer times or, you know, what the big deal was. I just knew we have to get, you know, get the call answered and get the pertinent information and get the call dispatched as soon as possible. But the call answer standard starts at M- NFPA. The, you know, time to dispatch starts with an NFPA standard, you know, the fire service. And I and I think it's important that folks know that piece of information and that they go find the standards that are associated with those and get a better understanding. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, one of the things that based on my experience in the in the comm center was uh, I was very active in our officer development program. And in, in, uh, we had, uh, um, well, now there are uh, there are three levels. There's uh, officer development one, which is focused on firefighters who want to get promoted. Yeah. And then there's officer development two, which is existing lieutenants who want to progress to captain. And then the third level is is training for chief officers, battalion chiefs, captains who want to become battalions. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I was able to do in that officer development one, again, those firefighters who desire to, to get promoted to lieutenant one day, was a four-hour segment talking about, this is what happens before you ever know there's a Yeah, fall. yeah. Okay. And, and again, pointing out that you know, when I, as a battalion chief, tell you, you know, hey, company officer, you need to have your people skilled in practice so that once you get the alarm, you're out the door in less than a minute. OK, yep. because these folks over here that took the call and dispatched that call to you, they're on the clock. Yep. OK, they're on the clock. And, t- and technically, and they're and they're also behind the eight ball already if that telecommunicator isn't getting the call entered into CAD or dispatched out in a reasonable amount of time. And they don't know that. Right. So they have to assume that, you know, that telecommunicator has to know that the EMS times or the fire times are being stacked up against the time that they're taking to process that call. I think it I think the, the basis of it all goes back to, you know, if Everybody in the interaction isn't familiar with what the expectations are for everybody in the interaction. Then, then that's where you've got that potential for number one conflict. Number two, you don't get you don't get the response time that you're that you're looking for. 
personally, personally, I think response times are overrated. And you know what furiates me? So what furiates me on occasion? So when I see things like dispatcher fails to or EMS takes too long to get to the call and when they make these generalized statements, but they don't know all of the information behind it. Oh, I can't I can't tell you how many times as a as a, especially as a battalion chief, but even as a company officer, you know, on the on the engine company that after the call's over and interacting with the, the homeowner or neighbors or whatever who say, well, it, it took you for it. took No, no. Mm-mm. Here, here, here. I'll let you listen to it. OK. Yeah. As the dispatcher tells me the call was received at such and such. It was dispatched to such and such. And you got there at such. An, and, yeah. I, you know, when you explain that to people in a thoughtful manner and you tell them and say, look, you know, I'm not telling you something that's not true. This person on the other end of the line isn't telling you something that's not true because all of what you just heard is a legal record. Yep. OK, it's a legal record. If anything ever goes to court or whatever, that is admissible evidence in court. I said, so we, we take great pride in, in being accurate mm-hmm. and being, and being upfront, you know, and today's bud words, buzzword transparency. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But yes, it was, uh, that was the one assignment that I think had the most effect on the other thing was it was, it was my first experience working with women. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, when I joined our fire department in 1982, we didn't have any women. Right. Um, of course, we didn't have that many career firefighters either. Right. Uh, right. My, my department was only only hired its first career personnel in 1969. OK. And so when when my uh, academy graduated in, in the summer of 82, uh, we were we were the we were the class that bumped us over 100. We had 100 uniformed personnel in the field. And I think by the time I got assigned to the comm center, probably had six or seven women out of a workforce at that time that had grown to be about 200. Wow. Okay. That's a big department. And so, and so that was a huge, that was a huge adjustment going into a comm center where 98% of our workforce was women. Yeah. Okay. And you, and you don't think, you don't think of a shift in a dynamic like that. Right. I'm all about every leadership thing that I teach. You know, I've I talk very extensively about my passion for for DISC, the human behavior model, and I'm truly understanding people as to who they are. But we do see differences. We do see differences in the way that people behave and that they operate and the way that they that they think. So, yeah, I can see where that would be be very different. But I well, bet you other, learned a lot. The, the, the other the other thing that I became very knowledgeable about very quickly is Family Medical Leave Act. Yeah, because yeah. the entire time, <laughs> the entire time that I was in the comm center, uh, we either had we had at least one person was actually out on maternity leave or they were in the queue. Yep. Yeah. So to speak. And, and you don't want to drink the water at that point, because then it just it just goes downhill from there. Yeah. In fact, the signal. All right. Was this, the, the day that the day that somebody came to work in civilian clothes. <laughs> <laughs> they knew I knew I knew that the next thing I'd be doing is helping them fill out the FLA FLMA paperwork because that was the as soon yeah. as uh, as soon as your doctor tells you that you're pregnant well I'm going to be on FMLA, FMLA and yeah. uh, you know my uniform isn't going to fit in a short period of time 
Well, they're using that right out of the gate. They don't want to wear those pants. They want to be comfortable. As you saw that I was sharing the event because, you know, you did step up and and we had we had four event sponsors, which was which was wonderful. I talked to one of them yesterday and I have a couple more that will be that will be launching with the conversations because they think it's really important that the folks that are supporting our profession get recognized in the way that they should be recognized. What went through your head? What, what made you go, you know what? I, I think I want to, I want to be a part of this. Cause you know, when you look at your fire and EMS track, it just, it doesn't logically line up, but I mean, I appreciate that it did, but what made you think about that? Well, I got to tell you, first of all, uh, because of you, from the time we we first met on LinkedIn and seeing the kinds of things that you were posting and the things that you were writing about, particularly your own struggles. Yeah. Okay. And I, you know, I just said to myself, you know what, this is something that is, is worthwhile and worth supporting. I love that. Because number one, like I said, I've since, since that assignment, I've, I've always had a special place in my heart. For public safety telecommunicators, you know, to see somebody like yourself who is so passionate about your profession and is is making such an effort to to give back, yeah, to your profession. It was a, as they say, it was a no brainer. Thank you, and I, and I really appreciate that because you know I get a lot of thank yous, and for me, doing what I do is doing exactly what you just said is giving back to to the profession that I love. I loved the profession. I just happened to have risk factors. I had past trauma. I had just stuff that didn't allow me to continue doing that piece of the job. And when I knew that it was time to leave, I was devastated. Like I was like, you know, this is, I love this job. And I joke with my husband sometimes that I'm going to go back and be a part-time dispatcher. And he just shakes his head like feverishly. No, no, we're we're not going to do that. But when I get those thank yous, that I was referring to, I always answer in a very similar way. No problem. It is my way of being able to give back to the profession that I love. And that's it. Like that is, that is simply, if, if you ask me what drives me every single day, it, it is that because I see the difference that it makes for them. And if I could just change the mindset or the, the way that people are treating people in just one person in one center, that one person in that one center could change everything. Well, I think the the other thing that, again, impressed me and prompted me to uh, to throw my hat in the ring is I think you have a forum that much like my blog. Yeah. Okay. You can talk about anything you want to talk about. You can talk to anybody you want to talk to. And I think that's that. I think that's an important role in public safety, whether yeah. you're talking, whether you're talking law enforcement, fire, EMS, telecommunications, because it, it, they're, they're all dynamic world. Okay. Yeah. One of the best things that I was able to do when I was in the comm center was, uh, unfortunately, we had an authorized strength of 64 positions. When I got there, we had 42 filled. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like your average dispatch center these days, if not worse. Yep. Uh, and in fact, at the same time, I was I was accepted into the executive fire officer program at the National Fire Academy, which is a four year program. You go two week class once a year, and at the end of each class, you have to complete what's called an applied research paper. Okay, that basically takes something that you learned in that class that year 
and applies it to a situation in your organization. Okay. Well, uh, my first ARP was how do I get more people into the emergency communication? How do I solve our, I, I need to retract the word I, how do we, because not only was it all of the people in the center, I had a co-manager who was a police lieutenant. Okay. Who, who basically was, you know, the, the, the manager liaison with the police department as I was with the fire and EMS uh, groups in the county. Yeah. And, you know, we shared those management responsibility roles. But, but anyway, in, in that paper, you know, I, which is also available online on my LinkedIn page. But, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we were able to accomplish early on was we got entry-level dispatcher pay up so that it was equal to police officers and firefighters. Wow, that's huge. And there again, the crux of my argument was that person taking the 911 call makes more critical decisions in a shift than a police officer or a fire lieutenant is going to make their first year on the job. And also, hey, look, you know, we've only got 42 people filling 64 spots, right? Yep. We're, we're every day telling people you got to work over. Yeah. It's dangerous. I mean, it's it's not even that it's 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 just dangerous. Yes. It's it's dangerous. Yeah. You know, it's a it's just a pain in the ass when you know you have to involuntarily tell somebody you got to hold over for four hours. Yeah. And the supervisor has to call the person for the oncoming shift and say, You're tagged, you gotta come in four hours early. Yeah. And nobody and nobody wants to be that person. Yeah. Nobody wants yeah. to be that person. Yeah. Yeah, but just just for the benefit of your listeners, I'll tell you the other two things that were really huge. Yeah, please do. In getting when I left after my hitch, we were at we were at fifty six. Okay, good. Fifty six. Yeah, out of six. Um, but the 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 pay the pay was huge. Yep. Okay. The other thing that we that we did was we sat down, we canvassed our supervisors and and other people, and we said, who are the best of the best? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we came up with like seven or eight. Okay. And we, t- we sat down with those individuals and we said, we need you to become the trainer. Nobody else is going to train except you. That's super interesting, right? Cause you have, I mean, that's huge. It gets better. Okay. At, th- at that time we were hiring one person out of every 10 that we interviewed. Crazy. And I think it was like 40% chance that that person would complete their training. Yeah. Okay. So we were, they were going out the back door as fast as we were bringing them in the front door. We identified a pre-employment test. Okay. That had nothing to do with dispatch. It had all, it was, it was like a three segment thing that was all about, and this was developed by a company that developed it for fire, EMS, police, and uh, public safety communication, but it assessed for the aptitude for the work. Okay. So quickly making decisions. Okay. Being able to do a couple of different things at the same time. Okay. Uh, and, and again, that's a very simplistic view of it, but we started doing that with every group that, the, you know, when we got a group of applications, we brought them in, we did test we started, we started hiring six out of every 10. Wow. And our completion rate getting through their 911 training and either being trained for police radio operations or fire and EMS radio operations went to like 70%. 
That's excellent. Within a year. Okay. Cause we were bringing people in, you know, you, you hear this very frequently these days it says, you know, hire for attitude, train for skills. Well, that's exactly what we were doing. And that's exactly what we should be doing. Except it took it a little past attitude. And like I said, it really looks at the aptitude that a person has for this kind of this kind of work, you know, where you, you know, you got to, you got to make quick decisions. You might have to be doing two or three things at one time. I don't know about, I don't know about your experience, but we found that some of our, some of our best dispatchers were waitresses. Yeah. Well, it, but they're going to be good waitresses. The kind of waitress who, who can take your order without writing it down and gets it right a hundred percent of the time. And gets it right. Like that's key, right? So I can tell because I do so much with, with DISC and the human behavior model, I can be in an exam, I can be in a situation and almost peg that waitress that's either going to be really good by not writing things down or they're, they're not going to be. And the same thing with nursing. So my mom was recently hospitalized and the nurse was just, she was spot on. And I knew she was spot on just by her behavior. Yeah. But when you go back to that test, I look back on who I am. I know now as an adult, I should have been diagnosed very early on with ADHD and I wasn't. I was diagnosed at uh, 45 and that that contributed to a lot of my risk factors for mental health because there were a lot of things that were were misunderstood about me. I misunderstood about myself, but others misunderstood. And there was this level of expectation, right? That you just, you conform in a certain way. And and the way our brains work is very different. But when I look at that test now, when I left the center, my ability to multitask kind of went in the toilet. And, And I look back and I'm like, what was it that was allowing me to be able to multitask to that, to that ability? And I know now that the adrenaline plays a huge role. Adrenaline in somebody with ADHD gives them that superpower, you know, the dopamine and the adrenaline to be able to focus. And it's almost the opposite effect. And I just think it's very interesting, you know, when you look at a test like that, is that it's able to pick up on that because somebody might have lost, you might, you might've lost the opportunity for somebody who was good, but they didn't pass a test like that. Does that make sense? Like, like knowing that they pass that test allows you to say they're good here. It just may take them a little longer to get there. So we know that the foundation is there. You teach them the skill, right. but you put the right people in the room in the first place. And that's why I say it was it was really a combination of the three. Yeah. The pay, the, the, the pay that that's a completely separate thing, because that yep. I mean, that that was out that's of a given. Yeah. You know, that was a that was a make the proposal to the fire chief, police chief, get them on board and pitch it to the to the county administrator. See what happens. Uh, but the other two were completely within our control. Yeah. Let's, let's hit, and and this is what we sat down. You know, uh, we had we had a very very good regular in service training program. I forget the exact schedule. And you know, my me and my partner Bob Pridemore, You know, we made a point of once we decided this is what we had to do. We went to those uh, every one of those in service training programs and had a conversation with with our people. Okay, so when in those in service training programs, you were speaking to everybody who was the B shift, yeah, the C shift, the A shift. Okay, so you know it wasn't a case of oh we told the supervisors but the supervisor didn't tell them. Okay, yeah, uh, because that was a completely separate. 
what I think is important there too, is when you say that you have these trainers that like, they're the best of the best and you focus specifically on them, you know that the information is going to get relayed in a positive way. You know that they're doing the job the way that they're supposed to be doing. And you're giving them an opportunity to say, yes, this is something that I want to do. One of the mistakes that I made is I just made an assumption that you've been here for a long time. You're really good at what you do. um, And you're going to be a trainer. So you're just going to be a trainer. And I know, and I didn't ask, I just, I just assumed. And I learned that a little late you know, that that isn't always the case. Just because you've been there for a long time doing the job doesn't mean you're the best. I got to tell you, all all seven, seven or eight, I can't remember the exact number now, but all of them, uh, they weren't thrilled. Yeah. Okay. But when, but when we sat down with them, we said, look, here's the numbers. Okay. You know what the impact of these numbers are with the involuntary overtime and everything else. Okay. The first rule of getting out of a hole is quit digging. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we need you to help us stop digging. Yeah. Okay. And the only way we can do that, we've we've put this test in place, right? So hopefully we're going to bring better candidates in for interview. And once they come in the door, then it's it's really going to be important that you do what you do best, and that is impart. Everything that has made you successful, your work habit, your attitude, that you're obviously your expertise at the skills that you're teaching them. Okay. But you're, that's how important you are to what we're trying to do here. Okay. And oh, by the way, for every one of your trainees that, that makes it through. Okay. There's a hundred dollar bonus. Nice. Nice incentive. Okay. You know, when you when you're only filling 42 out of 64 budgeted positions, uh, you got some cash to play with. Yeah, you okay? do. You do because because the money's there. So you know, let's let's make it work. So the and and I think what started this all the way back over here someplace was one of the biggest things that we were able to do with some of that un unspent budget was we were able to take six of our people to the APCO convention. Yeah down in when it was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. Two of them were supervisors. Two of them were who we anticipated would make good supervisors someday. And two of them were those trainers. That's awesome. It's a good good reward system. Yeah. And the biggest thing that they got out of that was seeing and talking to other people who do the same job and taking that back and talking amongst their coworkers and so forth and so on. Okay. You know, it's like the first time I ever went to the national fire Academy, I came home and I said to myself, you know what? I don't work for the worst fire department in the world. I don't work, <laughs> yeah. I don't work for the best, but we're darn sure more towards the best than the other way. And I want to help I want to help us become the best. I refer to that as reigniting the smoldering flame. You know, that what that does is when you are able to send folks to the conferences, especially folks that haven't been there before, or they come back, they're juiced. They're so excited. They're passionate. They're like, they heard amazing things about themselves and it built them up and it got them to appreciate the job that they do. So I always recommend, you know, getting folks to go. Both of those telecommunicators that we, that we said, you know what? They got real potential. Yeah. They came back. 
And within six months, they were both assistant shift supervisors. Awesome. Six months later, they were supervised. And two of the best. That's amazing. In my experience. That's a, that's a, that's a great story. That's you know, a great story. You gotta, but, you know, you, 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 you have to grow your talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no, it's no different in, in law enforcement. Uh, again, I worked with a police officer for three years. Okay. It's no different in the fire and EMS world. You have to teach people how to not only not only do their job skills wise, but how do you how do you do your job so that it makes you want to do it even better? Okay. I I have a piece on my blog that I wrote a couple years ago now, and that is starts off with, hey, if you're a supervisor that thinks you can motivate people, you're full of crap. Okay. The only thing that you can do is create an atmosphere that supports motivation. Yep. I call them, I call them the ions of communication. Okay. And it's information, communication, and expectation. Okay. They if people know what you expect, yep. If you if they know what you know all the time, yeah. Okay. Um but, you know, t- clear expectations up front, okay, which starts with a well-written job description. Yep, know what they're going to be doing. Okay? Um, and the information, like I say, when you know it, they should know. It. And then communication, you know, keeping them informed and, but more importantly, them keeping you informed. Well, and I think that's what happens a lot of times, too, is folks are in a silo, like they think that they're supposed to be doing this and that, number one, they can't ask for help or number two, like, well, this is my job, so I have to do it when in reality, maybe that's not the job for you, you to be doing. So it definitely sounds like so as we get ready to wrap up, what I want to encourage folks to do is to go find you on LinkedIn. So your name, Robert Avsec, A V. S-E-C on LinkedIn, and there they can find some of these blogs that you're talking about today? All kinds of stuff. They can, they, there's the link to my blog. Uh, if you scroll on down the page, you can see all four of the applied research papers that I did. And okay. again, the first one, the first one was how do we get more people into the comm center? And that is that is just amazing, right? Because that's, that's who the majority of my audience is. Yeah, we at at one at one point we were down to 40. That's it's crazy. It's so dangerously low. But yep. I hope that folks got, you know, a great message out of this. I know we started, you know, uh, your 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 foundation is fire and EMS, but you bring a huge value to the 911 space and I just want to say thank you so much for supporting me and my shenanigans, but also for what you do for for others as well. You're you're always there with a positive message and, you know, cheering people on and I just think that's a wonderful trait and if you can bond that up and pass it on. That would be fantastic. What we try to do every day. Absolutely. Me, me, and, me and my team. Yes. <laughs> your team, all three of us, me, myself, yep. and I. <laughs> yep. 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 Now you that's got the awesome. same people. You I do. Same people working for you. I do. I do. But I have, I have gotten much better at asking for help. So I don't do that well, but I've, I've been getting better. Well, it has certainly been a pleasure talking with you today, Tracy, and I hope it's not too long before we can do it again. Nope, I don't think it will be, my friend. You have a manageable afternoon. Thank you. Happy trails. (laughs) Welcome back, heroes. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
Please like and follow me on all On Scene First social media so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. And make sure you get to know our friends over at NGA, Next Generation Advance. You can start by heading over to their social media and thanking them for being our premier sponsor. Remember, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you.